This is a Hot Pie Original. When you want to make a change in life, you want to get through your adversity, you want to achieve something in life, something you've never been able to do. He said, you have to change the way you see your problem. You have to change your mindset. And this is what we have to do in our lives. And this is why I said, this is stuff I have to do to this day. He said, you have to quit looking at prison as a punishment and start looking at prison as an opportunity. Damon West had it all. He was a college quarterback that worked in the United States Congress and on a U.S. presidential campaign. That was until he became a meth addict and committed a spree of burglaries to support his addiction. West landed in jail on a life sentence, and what happened next, no one could predict. Without spoiling the story, Damon is now a college professor, nationally known keynote speaker, and best-selling author with best-selling author and motivational speaker John Gordon of The Coffee Bean, a simple lesson to create positive change. Get ready, because this story is going to blow your mind. Before we get started, please stop and take 20 seconds and follow us on whatever listening platform you are on, and please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. This will dramatically improve our ability to reach more listeners as reviews and follows impact the algorithms which run these platforms. In the next two weeks, I'll do a 15-minute Zoom call with a randomly selected person that left us a five-star rating and submitted a review no purchase necessary. It's time for the It's Freaking Awesome Story of the Week brought to you by the Festive Kitchen. Every week we highlight stories of people who went above and beyond and thought about someone else before themselves. Now that is freaking awesome. This week we're featuring Zhi Zhang, a Buddhist monk who has devoted decades rescuing over 8,000 homeless dogs from the streets of the Chinese megacity, Shanghai, bringing them into his monastery to live in peace and comfort without hesitation. Zhang works tirelessly and mercilessly to recoup their wounds or ailments. With help from volunteers and his own temple workforce, Zhang currently cares for hundreds of cats and dogs, costing nearly $2.5 million a year in labor and supplies. He tries to get as many of them as he can into families' homes overseas, using social media to reach out to prospective pet owners. So far, he's placed over 300 dogs into homes. When asked about how he feels letting them go, he responded, I have a dream that one day, when I have some free time, I want to go abroad and visit them, take photos with every dog I rescued. So when I get old and I can't walk, I have those photos to look at. Thank you, Zhi Zhang, for inspiring us all. You are freaking awesome. Right now, I just want to ask you something. Tell me if you know this story. You go out and spend hundreds of dollars on a fancy wearable device, hoping that it could help you achieve your wellness goals. And then it ends up in your sock drawer. Sound familiar? Or how about this? You follow those cookie cutter clickbait health recommendations like walking 10,000 steps a day. And then all you get is anxious and demotivated when life gets in the way and you can't hit those magic numbers. It's time for an evolution of expectation and results. And that's where AIM 7 comes in. AIM 7 sets busy people free to live their values every day by building lifelong healthy habits. We use the health data from your Apple Watch to create small, scientific, personalized health recommendations for whatever you want to do. Sleep better, increase your energy, reduce stress, or lose weight. If you're ready to finally unlock the power of your Apple Watch data, then go to www.aim7.com, that's A-I-M-7.com, to get early and free access to our exclusive program. AIM 7 starts small with you your health data, your values to get to your thriving life. 
But now it's time to lean in and learn from the best. Well, Damon, it's great to have you on the show today. Thanks for being here. Eric, thanks a lot for having me, man. I've been so pumped about doing this show. And I mean, when I saw that my friend Mikado got to do this show, I'm like, dude, Mikado, how do I get on, man? So he put me on and I really appreciate it, man. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, I'm just going to get straight to it. Um, How does an educated guy from a good family that's good looking, talented, is an athlete, you're, you're a smart guy, end up being a meth addict, going to jail on a life sentence for being involved in organized crime. How does that happen? I mean, the easy answer is, is, is uh, addiction. And addiction is, uh, it's one of those things, you know, I always tell people that America has got to change its attitudes towards two things in this country, mental health and substance abuse. And it's two areas that I think we've failed over the last couple of generations. But uh, I'm an addict. And I tell people this all the time. I'm an addict today. I'm in a long-term program recovery. I'm in a 12-step program, and it's not something I'll ever graduate from. You don't want to graduate from a 12-step. Um, but I'm in a long-term program recovery, and in the program recovery, I've found tools with which to live a life by. But before I found out about a program recovery, before I even knew what really an, an addict was when I was living in my addiction, um, there's nothing that really held me back in life. And whenever I was introduced to methamphetamine for the first time in 2004, uh, that was a game changer. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, and it's it, it's it's wild, Eric. You think you look back at the guy you see in front of you today; it's incongruent with the story we're about to hear, because. <laughs> When I start this, when I'm in front of a, like next, next week, I'll be in New York City talking to AIG and Morgan Stanley, you know, doing national presentations for them. And I'm going to start it out with, uh, you know, July 30th, 2008, when I was sitting around this little rundown apartment in Dallas and I'm sitting on the couch and I've got my meth dealer sitting next to this guy named Tex, man. And I'm sitting there smoking meth with Tex and I'm telling Tex, Tex, I think the end is near. I think the cops are about to come get me because 10 days before this, this guy that I have been doing all these burglars within Dallas, this guy named Dustin, had been picked up by the Dallas Police Department over a stolen car, right? So I'm telling Tex, man, Tex, they're about to close in on me. And man, just as I pass the pipe back to Tex, the window on, on the right blows out and shatters and a, and a little canister is tumbling across my living room floor. And it's smoking on one side. Eric, man, I know what's about to go down. I tried to get out of the living room as fast as I could. Too late. Boom. The flashbang grenade goes off in my face, bright white loud noise. And when I came to, when I can see and hear again, there's a cop standing over me. He's got an assault rifle digging in my eye socket and his fingers on the trigger. And he's screaming at the top of his lungs, don't move, don't move. Right. And I'm like, like, I ain't going anywhere. Yeah. I'm like, man, don't worry. <laughs> you know, don't worry, man. And so one of these other cops screams out, we got him. We got the uptown burglar. Mm. Where yep. is Uptown in Dallas? Uptown Dallas is is part uh, right right off of downtown. Real nice area of Dallas. Yeah. I mean, it, it's uh, it's you know, it was Dallas's gentrification project that they had in the late nineties. It's a really nice part of Dallas. It's a it's an area of Dallas I moved to uh, when I left Austin. I went from Washington D.C. to Austin to Dallas to be a stockbroker in two thousand four, and I was living in Uptown Dallas at the time that I was introduced to meth for the first time. And um, so Uptown Dallas, Highland Park, that area, there was it's a real nice. It, part of Dallas, one of the nicest parts of Dallas, right out there by SMU. Um, but I tell people all the time, you know, it doesn't matter what I do in this life, the achievements I can make, the people I can help, the, the lives I can penetrate with the story and hope I can bring, I'll never escape that moniker, that name, the Uptown Burger. That's the mm. consequences of my decisions. And and, and look, I mean, the, the reality is like, I was a bad guy. I broke into people's homes and I know that you know, even though no one was ever home or no one was ever physically hurt, no one, I, mean, I never saw my victims. 
it doesn't minimize the fact that I didn't just steal people's property, Eric. I stole people's sense of security. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they ever get that back. You know, that's something they have to live with for the rest of their lives. Have you ever met any of those victims? I have not. And, okay. and you know, and, and the, the interesting thing about it is Texas has laws. They have these laws. If you're a felony incarcerated person and you have victims of your crime, you can never make an apology to them. I can't reach out to them. I can't come on your show and try to do something like that. So mm-hmm. I don't. I don't ever try to make gotcha. an apology um, because that would be in a violation of state law. So in my program of recovery, in the eighth step of my program recovery, we have this thing where we make a list of all the people we've harmed. And in the ninth step, you go out and you make amends to these people, except when to do when to do so would cause you or them harm. So certainly to go out and apologize to someone and go back to prison for making an yeah. apology, <laughs> we don't want to that, do that doesn't make any sense, yeah. right? So what they have in the program recovery is called living amends. And when you make a living amends, you go out and do good deeds, good works, and you expect nothing in return. So I figure, Eric, the rest of my life, I'll just spend it making a living amends. But the good thing is, is I get to stay sober doing that, too. Man, that's going to keep me sober being a servant leader. And I tell people all the time, you know, you've got to give it away to keep it. And there's a lot of things that have happened in my life that are going on in my life, even when I was in prison, that they're hard to explain. They're things that I call God things. And so... I want to keep those things going in my life, but to do that, I have to be useful. I have to be willing to be used in a positive way. So you, you get captured by the SWAT team. You end up in Dallas County lockup. You get convicted of these crimes and sentenced to a rather outrageous sentence, which is life in prison for a nonviolent crime. Um, And this is in the book, uh, the change agents, which is, absolutely phenomenal i've i just showed you before i have dog-eared and highlighted it's an it's a it's an amazing book but you're in prison you get sentenced and something something happens after the sentencing your mom says to you you get an opportunity to talk to your parents and your mom says debts in life demand to be paid that's it man when she said that what went through your head uh you know you got to back it up to what was going through my head and like the first chapter of the change agent, which by the way, thanks for reading my book. Man. Yeah. I, I, when people get in touch with me, they're like, Hey man, I read your book. And I'm like, wow. You know, um, you know, ironically, before I came here, I was on the phone with the people from Hollywood with Lionsgate and them. And we're putting, we're trying to put together the net Netflix limited series on it, like a 10 part limited series oh, wow. on that book. So, I mean, it's, but the first chapter coming out of the gate, the, the prologue, it's called rock bottom. And, um, you know, rock bottom is a place we talk about in recovery that you got to get to before, you know, you got to get to a place where you get sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm. And, um, May 18th, 2009, you know, when I'm standing in front of that jury and, and Eric, I mean, listen, man, the, the jury for six days, they listened to overwhelming evidence of my guilt, of the crime of engaging in organized criminal activity. And I mean, when I say overwhelming evidence, I mean, the evidence was so overwhelming. I was so guilty. And I mean, I mean, it's just like a, you know, co-conspirator, co-conspirator, victim after victim and, and law enforcement after law enforcement came in and testified about me mm-hmm. and what I had been doing. This jury hated my guts and I gave them every reason to hate my guts. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I tell people all the time, if I didn't do the things I did, I would never have been put in front of that jury. And I appreciate your mind. You say it over and over and over in the book. Like I deserved what I got. Absolutely. Yeah. And oh, I absolutely. think that's, you know, 
anyways, keep going. I just find that very humbling. Yeah, no, no, because I mean, that's the thing. If I would not have been doing the thing, I broke into people's homes. And mm-hmm. because I broke into people's homes, I'm standing in front of a jury on May 18, 2009. I've abdicated my rights to freedom. I broke the social contract and I've got to pay a price. And I've given this jury of 12 men and women in Dallas the ability to sentence me to whatever they want between five to 99 years. And I mean, so I'm standing in front of that jury. What makes me really nervous about it is they went to deliberate for 10 minutes. Yeah, that's not good. After six days, man, (laughs) six days. I don't know how much law and order you watch, but if a jury's gone for 10 minutes, they smoked you and I know it. I mean, like literally when you take a recess, they bring you like a bologna sandwich in the holding cell. And I had this bologna sandwich I'm getting ready to devour because I've been in trial all morning and the bailiff comes back and says, hey, they've come back with a decision. I'm like, oh. but my stomach dropped, man, because mm-hmm. I knew it was bad. And I, walked, I got back in the courtroom and a second chair attorney, Karen Lambert, I had two lawyers, man, two paid attorneys here. This is not most people that come through the criminal justice system. They get a, a quarter point attorney. White middle class guy in America. Uh, my family pitched in. I had two paid attorneys. The second chair attorney told me, brace yourself. It's going to be bad. And she even told me that whenever I was gone for that 10 minutes, the jury sent a note into the uh, for the judge with a question on him. And the question they asked the judge is, can we give him life without parole? Life without parole. Dude, that's a capital punishment. These are mm. capital crimes. These are non-aggravated pop- property crimes. No one was ever home or hurt or anything. I'm telling you, man, the jury was so angry with me. And, and I get it. And I understand. So when I came back in the courtroom and the judge read the sentence out, 65 years. And 65 years is a life sentence in Texas. Mm. I mean, it took my breath away. Um, I was kind of in stunned disbelief, but kind of it, it, I, I braced myself up to accept it already. And I knew it was coming. But it was as bad as it could be. And, and so right after the, the trial, they take me and put me in this little side area. They've got a bulletproof glass right there. And and uh, they bring my parents in on the other side of the glass. They feel bad for my parents, I'm sure, because I, they just sat there for six days and their son got sentenced to life. And so my mom tells me, she says, baby, debts in life demand to be paid. And she said, you just got hit with one hell of a bill from the state of Texas. She said, but you did the things they said you did at that trial. And when she's saying that, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, yeah, I mean, the something I knew that something had to change, and when she's saying that, I realized that something that had to change is me. Mm-hmm. This is it. I mean, this is rubber meets the road. I'm not going to see these people again, you know. And so she's telling me, you know, debts and life demand to be paid. She's, but then she tells me, she flips it. She says, "But you owe your father and I a debt too." She said, "You've got to go and pay that debt to Texas. You owe that debt to Texas." But you owe your father and I a debt, too. She said, we gave you all the opportunity, love, and support to be anything you want to be in life. And this is how you repay us. And she said, that's not going to work. She said, we raised you in Port Arthur, Texas, a giant melting pot of a city, gave you a great moral compass, which you chose to not use. She said, so here's the debt you're going to pay to us. She said, when you go to prison, you will not get in one of these white hate groups, one of these Aryan Brotherhood type gangs, because you're scared because you're the minority in there. She said, it's not, you were never raised to be a racist, Damon West, and you're not going to start now. And she said, you will not get any tattoos while you're inside that prison. <laughs> and I mean, Eric, these guys want to tattoo every inch of your body in the joint. Right. I show people my sleeves everywhere I go, you know, college teams, pro teams, whatever, corporations. Mm-hmm. I'm like, these guys want to hit me up every time I'm in prison. I'm like, hey, West, let me put a tattoo on you. And I'd be like, dude, I can't do it, man. My mom said no. because my, yeah, my mom told I'm sure me. that's really uh, what they want to hear in there. But, but you know, they, everybody respects a mom yeah. in prison because everybody's got a mom. Right. Like the busiest visitation day of the year in a, in a prison anywhere in America is Mother's Day. Mm. Mother's Day. 
because everybody's got a mom. So, so my mom told me that day, May 18th, 2009, she said, no gangs, no tattoos. You come back as the man we raised or don't come back at all. Mm. Tough. So life. you had no choice. I mean, she threw the gauntlet down, drew yeah. a line in the sand. She, I mean, she asked me, she said, do you understand what I just said? Do you understand this debt you're going to pay? And But like, by her doing that, I mean, your survival now is is at risk. Because, I mean, there's there's a there's a different way of living inside maximum security prison. And that kind of leads to the next thing. When you're in Dallas County, you're trying to figure out how I'm going to survive and how I'm going to navigate this thing. How am I going to be this person that my mom has asked me to be? Yeah. And that's where you meet this guy, Mr. Jackson. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, it's like I, I, I've i never been to prison before. I'm like... I said, I'm a white middle-class guy in America. I don't yeah. know anybody that's ever been to prison before, before I got into this drug and dope world, right? Yeah. So I'm asking all these guys, how am I going to survive? What am I going to do? <laughs> all these guys in county jail with me. And black, white, Asian, Hispanic, man, they're all telling me universally the same exact answer. You have to get into a gang. You can't survive without a gang. They told me that lie they tell people in the streets of America. The gang is your family. The gang will love you. The gang will protect you. All lies, Eric. All lies. Mm. Families do that kind of stuff. Gangs don't do that. What wasn't a lie is they said you're going to the worst part of the prison system where everybody on the building you live on has life. They call it the life sentence building because I've got a life sentence, right? Mm -hmm. Make your life easy, Wes. Get into a gang. But there was this one guy, Eric, that uh, this older black man named Mr. Jackson. And Mr. Jackson, so he would you, he's what you call a career criminal. He's mm -hmm. been in our prison almost like four or five times, man. Uh, but he's the most positive guy I've ever met in my life. This guy had a smile on his face everywhere I went. And every morning he would come up to my cell, to my bunk, and he would bring this positivity in my life, this ray of sunshine into this really dark place. And so one morning he comes up, he's got a cup of coffee in his hands and a smile on his face. He said, he said, West, man, I've been watching how you're dealing with these knuckleheads and these dummies. Talk about you got to get into a gang. He said, man, don't listen to these fools. He said, you want to keep that promise you made to your mom and your dad, to, to God, to yourself. Mm -hmm. he, said, let me, he said, let me tell you what prison is going to be like. He said, let me lace you up, which is a term I learned in prison. Lace you up means let me tell you what's about to go down. Mm -hmm. So he said, he told me, he said, the first thing you need to understand is that Everything in prison is about race. He said, race runs the entire institution. He said, and every inmate in there wants it to be about race. Mm. He said, when you walk in the door, you're going to see a TV set in the day room of that life sentence building you're going to. And in front of the TV set, you said, you, he said, you're going to see rows of benches. He said, the first row of benches, you can't sit on that row because that's for the blacks. That's our row. He said, you'll get your head smashed in to sit on that row. He said, now the second row of benches, you're going to, you know, you can't sit on that row either. That's for the Hispanics. He said, but the third row, if there's a third row, is where the white folks sit. He said, if there's no third row, white folks sit on the floor. He said, that's just the way the numbers work in prison. He told me, you don't have the numbers in prison like you have in the free world. The blacks have those numbers. He said, so don't get into a wreck over race. And he told me, he said, because it's about race, he said, you need to understand that when you walk in the door, the white gangs get the first dibs on you and they're going to come after you. The Aryan Brotherhood, the Aryan Circle, the White Knights, the Woods. He said, you have to fight all these guys. Now, he, now you say fight. You literally have to fight them. Literally have to fight them. I mean, yeah. you, you have to fight for your life. And and, and he tells me, too, he's, he's telling me about fighting in prison. He says, you don't have to win all your fights, but you have to fight all your fights. So you can't turn down a fight. If someone says, hey, I want to I want to catch a square with you in the day room. Catch a square means we're going to go box, you know, or someone says, I want to look at you in the shower. Nothing gay about that. You're going to the shower to box, not shower, because there's no guards back there. There's no cameras and all the blood you spill cleans up out of the shower real easily. The showers are a great place to fight right because you're going to spill blood yeah but he's telling me he said the white gangs are coming at you first and he said if you don't give in to their ideology of hate out of fear 
fear. You know, my co-author and good friend, John Gordon, John talks about fear and faith. And he says, fear and faith have more in common than the letter F to begin with. Mm. John says, fear and faith both believe in a future that has not happened yet, Eric. Fear is a negative future you can choose to believe in, or faith is a positive future that you can also choose to believe in. And John's always telling people, choose faith over fear. And that's kind of what Jackson's telling me that day in Dallas County Jail. Mm -hmm. You know, don't give in to this ideology hate out of fear, but get ready because then the black gangs are coming because the white gangs are going to send them after you and the Crips and the Bloods, the gangster disciples, Mandingo warriors. They're going to be more than happy to tee off on an independent white guy that will not get with his own race. But he told me, he said, you can survive all this, West. And he said, the strongest man in prison always walks alone, doesn't join a gang. But when he's telling me this, man, he can see that the guy in front of him, this little guy, like I'm just staring at him like a deer in headlights. I'm like, man, because all this violence and terror, I don't feel like I can do it. And so he says, hey, let me back it up. Let me break it down for you in another way. He said, I want you to imagine prison as a pot of boiling water. And he said, anything we put in this pot of boiling water is going to be changed by the heat and the pressure inside that pot. He said, I'm going to put three things in the pot of boiling water and watch how they change. A carrot, an egg. And a coffee bean. This is the story of the coffee bean. So he said, first things first. He said, if I put a carrot in that pot of boiling water we call prison, he said, what happens to the carrot? Turns to mush. Turns to mush. That's what I told him. I said, it turns soft, Mr. Jackson. He said, that's right. He said, the carrot goes into the prison hard, but the water, the prison, turns the hard carrot soft, mushy, and weak. He said, the carrot got beat. He got robbed. May have gotten raped. He may have gotten killed. He said, you don't want to be the carrot in prison. Then he said, what about the egg? And uh, I was like, okay, well, the egg turns hard, Mr. Jackson, like a hard-boiled egg. He said, that's right. He said, the egg is a shell that's going to protect it physically. But inside that shell, that soft liquid core, the egg's heart becomes hard. Mm. He said, now, if your heart becomes hard and you're incapable of giving or receiving love, he said, if you're incapable of giving or receiving love in that place, you become institutionalized. And he said, you will not come back as someone your parents recognize because your eggshell will have swastikas tattooed all over it. And then he asked me. He said, what about the coffee bean? And Eric, I didn't know. I didn't know what happened to a coffee bean in the boiling water. And that's when Mr. Jackson, a guy that looks nothing like me, a guy that didn't have the same faith as me, didn't have the same American experience as me growing up. This is a black Muslim man from the streets of Dallas, Texas. I'm a white Catholic guy from Port Arthur, Texas. But this guy is so different than me, shares with me one of the most important nuggets of wisdom I've ever gotten in life. And, and the moral of that is I tell people all the time, if you shut yourself off to people because they look different than you, they have a different background than you, they have different belief systems than you. If you shut yourself off to people because they're different, you're going to miss some of the best lessons in life and some of the best friendships, too. Mm. That's what Mr. Jackson told me. He said, if I put a coffee bean in that pot of boiling water we call prison, he said, now you have to change the name of the water to coffee. Mm. Because he said the coffee bean, the smallest of these three things, he said, small like you, had the power to change the entire atmosphere inside that pot. He said, because the power was inside the coffee bean. He said, just like it's in the powers inside you. And he said, everything else was changed by the water. The carrot was changed by the water. The egg was changed by the water. But the coffee bean was the only thing that could change the water. Mm. So he's telling me, he said, if you want to survive prison and come back on the other side as someone your parents recognize, you have to be like that coffee bean. And you have to change that prison. You have to turn that prison into a pot of coffee. He said, you have two choices with your energy, negative or positive. He said, whatever kind of energy we put out, we attract back. He said, so if you want to walk around prison all the time with this, this mean mug on your face and you're like, you want to look hard, what you're going to do is attract the hardest people to you. Right. They're really, going to pick on you. They're going to pull you out. They're right. going to go. They're going to be attracted to your negative energy. 
He said, but West, if you walk around that prison with a smile on your face and you let those guys know they're not getting you, no matter what they do, they can't break you. He said, man, you will change prison from the inside out. But he said, the best part about it is the other coffee beans in prison, the other positive inmates, they'll find you because of your energy. Mm. And the last thing Mr. Jackson told me was go out there and go be a coffee bean. We're going to take a break for just a moment to talk about how you can get exclusive content designed for high performers just like you. If you're looking for information and resources to improve your health, well-being, and performance, then sign up for my free high-performance newsletter, Adaptation. Just go to www.ericquorum.com and sign up now. This newsletter is my effort to bring zero-cost, high-performance resources and tools to anyone with a desire to improve. We know that some of you have been trying to sign up for the newsletter, and we just found out that there was a problem with our contact manager. The issue has been resolved, and to show our appreciation for your patience, when you sign up, you'll get my ultimate sleep cheat sheet, which includes easy-to-implement strategies to get a good night's sleep every night. Now, back to the show. That's wild. Four words, man. Wild. I mean, because one of the things I wrote down, I mean, I highlighted this in the book is it says, you don't have to win all your fights, but you must fight all your fights. I mean, that can't help but extend past your time in prison. That's I mean, for everybody about. out there that's that's listening right now, like you don't have to win every single fight, but you darn should fight that fight. Absolutely. And it's something, I, and I tell people this in every presentation I give, I always make it a point to bring out that part of the presentation to everybody because mm-hmm. that's... That's a huge lesson in life because mm-hmm. what it tells you, it's almost like a permission statement that you're going to lose. And that's okay. That's mm-hmm. part of no one's that good to win all their battles in life. We are going to lose sometimes. There's going to be days that you wake up and you know that life is going to win. You know, you're going to get kicked in the teeth when you get out of bed, but you have to get out of bed and get your day going because mm-hmm. you have to take action in your life every day. And and when Jackson told me that, I didn't really fully understand it until I got to prison and I started getting all these fights and I kept losing, but I kept just. Kept I mean, they came after you. Day one, you said like you walked in, you knew what was coming. Yeah. And within how many minutes you were in your first fight? Man, Jackson told me one of the one of the conversations we had before I went to for the prison bus came to pick me up in Dallas County Jail. He told me, he said, when you get to prison, he said, and they give you your cell assignment. He said, do not run to your cell like the guys that are scared. Do not run to your bunk like the guys that are scared. He said, you need to be strong, be brave, put your bags down, put your back against the wall and just let it happen. And I'm like, let what happened, dude? You know, I didn't know <laughs> what he was. Let it happen. Let it happen. What yeah. are you talking about, man? He said, your heart check. <clears throat> your heart check, Eric. He said, your heart check's the most important fight you'll ever get into. He said, you're a new face on the block. He said, you're a white guy. You walk in the door. The first guy that comes up to you is going to be a white guy because you're white. He said, the first guy's not a threat. He's an information gatherer. He's a scout. He's going to want to know. He's going to ask you, what gang are you going to go with? He said, get him out of your face as fast as you can, but get ready because the second guy that comes up, this guy's not coming to talk. And he said, this guy's coming to hurt you, man. He's coming to break you. He said, when that guy gets within range, put your fist in his mouth. Don't even let him get a word out. He said, get the jump on the first fight. He said, and to get ready to fight a lot after that. And he was right. Jackson was right about everything. When I walked in the door of prison, I get to the Styles unit, the Mark Styles unit in Beaumont, Texas. And Styles is, man, Styles is one of the toughest prisons in the state of Texas. The whole Texas has about a hundred prisons in it. Um, and one of the, I, I think I, I put Styles is, you know, the top, five toughest prisons in the state. I'd put it in, in the top toughest prisons in the country. It's a mm. very tough place to do time. And I can tell you a lot about prisons now because since I got out of prison. You've been in a lot. Well, I've been in a lot, but I went back to school and got my master's in criminal justice. And today I teach a class at the University of Houston downtown. I'm a professor and I teach a class called Prisons in America. So How I mean, my, my entire class is about prisons, <laughs> right? So 
But when I walk in the door and Styles there, man, I've got a mattress under one arm, a couple bags of property. I put them down, put them back against the wall. And within a few minutes, here he comes, a little bitty white guy, man. He's ball headed. He's tattered from head to toe. Even his eyelids are tattered up. And he gets up in my face and he's breathing on me. And, he, and I can smell the, he's been drinking that homemade wine, that hooch, you know? Yeah. And I can smell the, the, the liquor on his breath, the wine on his breath. And he says, hey, white boy. He said, what family are you riding with? And I'm like, man, get out of my face, little dude. I'm riding with God, man. I'm riding with God. He laughed at me. He said, man, God didn't hear white boy. We kicked him out. He said, but we're here, white boy. We're coming to get you. And he stumbles off, man. And I'm like, oh, man, I know it's coming. And man, a few minutes later, here he comes down the third tier. Man, biggest corn-fed white dude I've ever seen in my life. This guy was <laughs> a giant, dude. He's coming down the third tier. He's staring at me. And when he comes down the stairwell on the right side, I can see him full on, head on. Just a big, bald-headed, skin-headed, muscled-up guy. And he's got a swastika tattooed all on the top of the skull of his head, man. And he's coming at me, man. But dude, I remember what Jackson said. I hit the guy in the mouth as hard as I could when he got within range. 20 seconds later, man, the first fight's over because that dude's mopping me. I mean, he's beat me from one side of the day room Who, to the do other. Some, do people stop it? Or no, Is man. there kind of like just this prison rule, like it goes on to a certain extent and then it's over? If a guy is on the ground, laying mm-hmm. down on the ground, you cannot hit a guy on the ground. That's the rule in fight. Like hockey has these crazy rules. Like hockey's got to take your gloves off to fight, yeah, right? Yeah. But in prison, if a guy is on the ground, you cannot beat him while he's on the ground. You have to give him a chance to get up or call the fight off. And in prison, that's the thing what Jackson was talking about. Dude, there's no shame in getting to a fight and, and tapping out after you're done. You know, you get your butt beat, you say, all right, I'm done. You know, but you have to get out and fight. So all weird. these guys want to, they want to what? They call it a free show, you yeah. know, as, as opposed to pay per view. It's a free show in the day room. Oh, there's and a little every, entertainment value. Oh, yeah. Everybody will stop what they're doing to watch a fight, you know, and then go back to playing cards. Or and the guards aren't hopping in. No, no, they don't know. The guards don't. But the rule, general rule of thumb is that you don't want to, you don't want to do anything illegal in front of the guards. Technically, fighting is illegal. So if you want to fight, you wait till the guards leave the pod. And the guards want you to leave. The, the guards are like, man, look, don't do it in my face, man. If you do it in my face, I got to write you up. So technically, you're just supposed to wait till they leave the pod. And then that's when the fights go down. So, and that's what happens. Dude, that's wild. So you survive this onslaught and then you kind of start Falling into a routine while you're there. What was your routine like in prison? Well, you know, it, that's a good question. And, and because, you know, the routine in prison is is a lot of what my routine is now in the sense that there's, you know, basically some rules that I have to live my life by to get to be that coffee bean. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, once the violence was over, it took about two months for the violence to be done, for me to earn my right to exist in there. Were you just every day living in fear? Oh, Absolutely. I mean, there's days that I, I mean, honestly, man, I mean, to be totally honest, there's days I didn't leave my cell because I was worried someone was going to say, hey, Wes, I'm going to look at you in the shower. I miss meals. I didn't go to the chow hall some days because I just didn't want to fight those days. You know, some days I just wouldn't get out of bed. Um, I probably got in three dozen fights the whole time I was there and lost 75% of those fights there. I mean, I got my butt kicked all over prison. And it, it's, you know, a lot of times I'll, I'll, I'll draw a laugh out of the crowd, especially if I'm talking to a bunch of college or pro <laughs> athletes or like, and I'm like, man, you know. I can't go into a room and tell you I beat all these people up, man. Y'all would think I was a, a nut. Yeah. And I'm just lying to y'all because the reality is that I lost most of my fights physically, but I won all my fights by Jackson's standard, mm-hmm. by just showing up. And it was by showing up every day and just showing that you can't break me. You're going to have to kill me to break me that they finally allowed me to exist. So two months into prison, I'm allowed to exist. I don't have to fight anymore, but I've got a bigger problem in my hands. I've become the egg and I don't want to be the egg. But I became the egg. One of the last conversations with Jackson. Again, this right, this guy was so spot on. I asked him, I said, what am I going to find more of in prison? 
He fired back without hesitation. He said, eggs. He said, the egg is a natural evolution of a human being inside that environment. You're going to probably become the egg too. And he was right. I didn't want to be the egg, but I was the egg. So I'm, I'm, in, I'm in my bunk. It was a couple months into prison. I'm, I've got the bottom bunk and my cellmate, Carlos, has a top bunk, my celly. Uh, Carlos is a little bank robber from San Antonio. I mean, he's serving life. Nine, nine. He's a real good dude, though. I mean, this is, I mean, you know. It's, We're going to talk later, but he saved your life. He actually did. He yeah. actually did. And you know what? And Carlos, to this day, I take Carlos's calls every month from prison. I put money on his books. I send him books. I send him care packages. I take care of Carlos, That's man. That's awesome. Oh, absolutely. I mean, well, as we'll talk about, yeah. there's a reason why yeah. I take care of Carlos. So, um, but Carlos and I are talking and, and I'm telling him the story of the coffee being like Jackson told it to me. And Carlos jumps down off the top bunk. We live in this little 10 by 12 and he's pacing around. He goes, man, I really love this coffee bean story. He said, but you're no coffee bean and you're never going to be a coffee bean. And I got angry with Carlos. Yeah. I'm like, what do you mean I can't be a coffee bean? I mean, he said, because of the way you think. He said, the way you think controls the way you act. He said, all action is born of thought. And he said, thoughts without action, they're just thoughts. And you have all these thoughts that you never act on in life. You have this thought right now that you want to be a coffee bean. He gave me a riddle. He said, three frogs are sitting in a log. One of the frogs makes the decision to jump. He said, how many frogs are left in the log west? And I'm a college guy. I'm smart. So I was like, two. There's two frogs. I, he said, wrong. He said, all three frogs are still sitting in the log because he the frog- made a decision. He didn't act. That's it. The yeah. frog that made a decision jump didn't take any action. He said, that's who you are. You're that third frog right wow. now. He said, so, and I, you know, I, he was right. So I, hum, very humbly, I was like, all right, Carlos, then, then how do I do it? And what he told me is one of the most important things I tell people all the time. When you want to make a change in life, you want to get through your adversity, you want to achieve something in life, something you've never been able to do. He said, you have to change the way you see your problem. You have to change your mindset. And this is what we have to do in our lives. And this is why I said, this is stuff I have to do to this day. He said, you have to quit looking at prison as a punishment and start looking at prison as an opportunity. Now, I mean, now think about this, man. The op- he's telling me prison is an opportunity. I, I can't wrap my brain around this. Yeah, it's I just kind, started- It's like completely counterintuitive. Absolutely, man. I just started serving a fresh life sentence in <laughs> on a maximum security prison. I've just got done fighting for my life for two months in a row. I don't know if they're ever going to let me out. And this guy, a little bank robber from San Antonio is telling me this is an opportunity. I'm like, what do you mean, Carlos? I don't even get it. He said, Wes, this is your opportunity to work on yourself 24 hours a day, seven days a week, become the best version of yourself possible to become that coffee bean. And he said, right before it lights out, he said, what are you prepared to do with your opportunity tomorrow? He refused to call prison punishment. So the next day I got up man, my feet hit the cold concrete floor of the prison cell. And I, you know, I look up and I'm like, all right, God. Thanks for an opportunity. And Eric, I didn't believe it, man. I didn't. Mm. The first day, I, I didn't believe it or the second day, but I did what's so necessary in life to overcome adversity and face our challenges and, and get to a different station in life. I took action. Mm-hmm. I took one step into the abyss of action that was going to change my life forever. But it starts with that one step that say, all right, today's the day I start changing my life. And I did. And it didn't happen right away. I tell people this all the time, man. Results take time to measure. You know, mm-hmm. you want to do something big in your life. You want to create change. You want to you want to do something that's never been done. That's going to take dedication, hard work, commitment. It's going to take a long time to do that. And in prison for me, it was, you know, days became weeks, weeks became months and months became years. But I finally figured out how to become that coffee bean. And it, you know, it, it was tough, man. It was tough to figure out how to become that coffee bean. But that's what I share when I go into these corporations and, and these schools and these athletic departments and, and pro and sport and college sports teams. I share with them how I became that coffee bean because if I could do it in my life inside that place, then you can do it in your life outside here. 
No the, question. Yeah. I mean, it's very, I mean, as I re, you, you got, if you're listening to this, you have to get this book, the change agent. I mean, it, it's unbelievable. I have so many things highlighted in there, but one of the things I really admire was your just dedication. Like, okay, I'm going to get up in the morning. I'm going to, me- I mean, early, early in the morning, I'm meditate and pray. Okay. And then I'm going to eat this. I'm going to run in this certain area. Go yeah, to the bathroom. And go, yeah, I, yeah. Go to the bathroom with the curtain. Yeah. I gave all the details because I mean, it's my only shot to go to the bathroom I mean, all day on a clean toilet. I could, I literally got <laughs> so into this book. I felt like I, I mean, I'm not in prison, but it was, I could, I could, I got a glimpse into what it was like, you know, you first thing in the morning, like clockwork. That's what you said. You would go to the restroom and then you were out because that was your arrangement with your bunk mate. Yep. Or your roommate. And then, uh, you know, you would jog, you'd exercise. You were 50 something pounds overweight. I mean, you look disgusting when you went into prison. Yeah. Not the guy that's sitting in front of me now. And you literally physically, emotionally, spiritually changed as a person. Red like crazy. Absolutely. Um, you talked about how one of the things I thought was very interesting is how you would listen to classical music while you'd look down into the rec room where people were fighting. It was like a symphony of violence. It's like a strange distorted video to Mozart. You know, it's like this, this, you know, people are just decking each other and fighting each other and you're hearing violins and cellos and, and pianos. And it's it's like, but it's like, you're watching this little concert going on (laughs) down there and it's just this violence. Something out of a movie and and this movie is going to get made. Yeah, it's it's going to be wild. But I mean, that's the thing. I mean, the world inside a prison is kind of an upside down world. You know, it, you've got to leave everything, you know, um, the, the prison I went into, because the prison I went into is where they held the worst offenders. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get I got a life sentence, so I got lumped in with the life. Didn't matter that I was up for parole for the first time in like six years. I had the, the opportunity to make parole in six years. Everybody I'm locked up with, the nearest time they get to go see parole is 30 years. You have to do 30 years on a life sentence in Texas if it's aggravated, you know? We're so grateful to the Blueprint's title sponsor, The Festive Kitchen. The zany creators at The Festive Kitchen set out to create the perfect sweet, salty, crunchy snack with just a little heat. After attempting numerous flavor combinations, they started sharing samples with family and friends who would ask, what is the name of this snack? Since there was no name, they just answered, I don't know, but it's freaking awesome. Hilariously, the name stuck and a new product was born. It's a snack and it's freaking addicting and it's called It's Freaking Awesome. You can order online now at shop.festivekitchen.com and itsfreakingawesome.com. Trust me, this snack tastes as cool as it sounds. Brace yourself, you'll be ordering frequently for your monthly freaking fix. The good news is they now have a freaking monthly subscription. Again, it's available at shop.festivekitchen.com and at itsfreakingawesome.com. That's I-T-S-F-R-E-A-K-I-N awesome.com. There was a pod I lived on one time, Eric. I mean, I had there's 48 guys on the pod. I lived on a pod one time that had 12 guys of the 48 guys had life without parole. These are guys that never get out. These are yeah. guys that this is the answer that they had to the death penalty. When people got squeamish of the death penalty, they said, all right, we'll do life without parole, which is, I think is a worse punishment than death because at least death, there's an end to it. When you're 19 years old and some of these guys are 19 years old in there and they've got life without parole. I was talking to this one kid in there one time. I was like, man, why didn't you, why didn't you go for the death penalty? He's like, oh, man, my mom, my mom told me, you know, she, she wanted me to do this. I said, dude, your mom's going to die one day, man. You're not. They're going to keep you alive. You know, you're going to probably do 60 or 65, maybe 70 years in here. So what's your thoughts on criminal justice reform? What part of it? I mean, prison. Let's talk about prison. I mean, it sounds to me like the most dysfunctional place. And if you want to give anybody a chance at at hope, 
like like you're sleep deprived. There's no air conditioning. You said it's almost hallucinogenic sleep during certain times of yeah, the year. It's tough. Like my my background is like a PhD in sleep. I'm thinking like nothing is going to get better in this environment unless you are a resilient son of a gun. Like what would you change about that? Like what would you provide these guys or gals that are in a situation like this so they have a shot at like being a decent human being. Yeah, and so here's the deal. So w- w- there's a there's a lot of different levels of criminal yeah. justice um when you when I, when I hear criminal justice reform, my first my mind first goes to like what you see on the streets with policing stuff like that, the laws that, yeah. that people live by. Because when you get to prison, prison's really a depository. It's a place where we hold people that have broken the law. It's a place where you have to go. People like me that are, that are guilty of crimes, we go to pay our, our penance. And But when we get to talk about the prison stuff, it depends on whether or not someone buys into the idea that prison isn't just a place to go and pay your price. Prison is a place where you're supposed to be able to go and to reform yourself. Mm-hmm. And if we buy into the idea that prison is a place for reform, then we've got to start investing more in programming and ways to help people reform while they are in prison. And, and I don't think this is anything revolutionary to states and their state prison systems because everybody's got this term, this hot button issue right now is called reentry, 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 reentry. Reentry. Reentry means, you know, how you reenter society because 95% of the people that are locked up, this is the number, 95% of the people that are locked up in all prisons and jails in America go home. 95%. There's only 5% that will never leave a prison. But 95% of 3 million plus are going home one day. They're going to be pumping gas next to you. They're going to be in Walmart next to your family when they're checking out. You want these people to have as much opportunity to have a better life as possible, man. You want them to have an alternative to crime, mm-hmm. right? And so that's going to happen inside the prison. And 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 I actively work to go inside prisons. I've built a curriculum to go inside prisons and give the blueprint of how I did it in my life for every man or woman that's locked up in any state or, or county system because – I it's and when I go in there. So here's two parts: so the the criminal justice system and the prison system. They've got a role to play by offering better programming, by doing their job to make sure that prison is going to be a place where we can reform. But the other job is on the on the offender too. The currently incarcerated person, they've got to make that decision that they want to have something different in life. I was in a prison today. I was at the Wynn Unit in Huntsville, Texas, a maximum security prison right there where all the headquarters of all the prisons are. And one of the first things I'll ever say when I go in front of these inmates, these men or women incarcerated, the man or woman you want to be when you walk out of this place one day has to begin today. A successful reentry begins the day you walk into a prison. And that's got to be the mindset that you have. That's the mindset I had when I was inside prison. I had these, these, you know, I wanted to to get out one day and have a better life and, and be a productive member of society. I wanted to be useful again. And I knew that that had to begin while I was in prison, because if I couldn't do that in prison, there's no way I'm doing the free world. I'll give you an example of that. When I was in prison, I'll use I statements. Mm-hmm. I statements work really well, especially with addicts like me. Right. So I when I was in prison, I was doing really well about transforming myself, becoming this coffee bean. Then I took a class in prison. They have prison educational program. I took every class I could, Eric. I mean, because everything TDCJ would offer, I took because I wanted to find, you know, how I could better myself. And some of the classes were good. Some of them weren't. But even the classes that weren't so good had little nuggets of stuff you could take with it. But one of the best classes I ever took when I was in there was called cognitive intervention. And you just think about the words, cognitive intervention. 
You want to intervene on your thinking, right? And in this class, such a good class, we had these things called thinking reports. And the thinking report would be you, you set a scenario of, a, of something's going to happen. It's almost like saying, if this, then what? And you start playing the tape out. And like, if I make this decision, then this, this, and this could happen, right? And I realized that even as I was doing all this, the stuff that was right, I was a model inmate. There were things that I was doing in there that if I continue to do them in there, it would be guaranteed that I would have this habit of doing them. And when I got outside in the free world, they would probably send me back to prison. So one of the things I would do is on commissary days. Commissary is like a store on mm-hmm. the prison. And commissary is crazy, man. It's hard to get to commissary to get in there because you have money that people can put on your trust fund account. And you can go down there. You could buy coffee. You could buy soups. You could buy chips, whatever you want to do. I mean, I, I would buy healthier stuff like sunflower seeds, peanuts, mackerel, tuna, stuff like that. But that's where you got the good stuff, man. You're not eating prison food anymore. You're eating free world food. Right. Commissary is hard to get to. It's hard to get in that window. So I would stunt and stunt means you break the rules. You fall out of place. You, you, you go where you're not supposed to be going. You sneak around to get in that line and I would do it. And because that's entitlement behavior. Mm. Another thing I would do because, you know, you go to the chow hall, you don't feel like the portions are big enough. People shake the spoon on you. You shake the spoon means they shake the spoon, make sure you get a spoonful portion to put on your plate. Right. So I would bring a mint stick or some stamps down to the chow hall and buy an extra scoop of, of food every time I'd go through, you know, because you can do that. You can, everything's for sale in prison, man. So, but I realized taking cognitive stamps, stamps would get you another scoop. Oh yeah. Yeah. Stamp, stamps money, man. That's And other prisoners serving you? Yeah. They're inmates oh, behind the line. So gotcha. yeah, you're, 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 you're running through a line. The economy in prison is run by stuff off the commissary. That's the the under. I got a pastry. I can get this pastry. Can get you the pastry. Will get you good stuff, man. But um, <laughs> but it's hard. To, it's hard to move a pastry. Now, if I'm taking a pastry to the chow hall, you can be shook down at any time the officers want to when they see you on the sidewalk. Like literally, you'll see guys that are stripped down, butt naked on the sidewalk, and you just keep going. You just you get so used to that, man. Because you're and you get used to get out of your own clothes all the time, because they can shake you down and strip you down anytime they want. Wow. Oh, you just I mean, you just get used to just ripping your clothes off, standing there, twist around real quick, and all right, put your clothes on, inmate. Go. So you get used to that. So I can't really take a pastry with me everywhere I go, yeah, right? Yeah. So you can not a, play, a lot of place to hide a pastry, but a stamp. You can put a stamp in your pocket. But what I would do is I would go down to the chow hall and buy extra food. But when I took that class, cognitive intervention, I realized that this entitlement behavior, these two examples in my life of entitlement behavior, if mm-hmm. I continue to do this, then I'm going back to prison one day when I get out. There's just no way I can hold on to my freedom because I've got to play by all the rules, not just the rules that, you know, that I think pertain to me. And so uh, the last leg of prison, man, I just went to commissary like everybody else. It was miserable, but I had to do it because that's how that's, you know, that was the ultimate act of self-discipline. I had to, man. I had to, Eric. I I don't I didn't want to go back to prison. I didn't want to do that. And, And I knew that I could do it. And it was like the test. If I can't do it in here, then I won't be able to do it out there. And it's mm. like, if you're being honest with yourself, you can run these tests by yourself and and you know if you're failing or not, but you've got to be candid with yourself. Wow. So you got out early. I should say you got out on parole because there's a whole other part of the story that I want to chat about. If you want to learn more about, there's some stories that I wrote down on things I want to talk to you about, like the pickup basketball Oh yeah, we don't have man. time for that. People need to read the book. That is one. That is an epic deal. Um, it was a long week, man. 
Long, but I'm gonna tell you, you almost died. Yeah, well, I'm gonna tell you something. What I learned about that yeah. week, though, man, because I mean, and what Eric's talking about mm. is the fact that I had to go to the rec yard to earn that respect, that last leg of that earn that respect. The first couple months I was there, and I got into basketball because everything in the rec yard is segregated by race, man. And so I get into the basketball where there's no white guys allowed, and literally. It's nine on one games every time I play, and they make sure I'm on the court every game. They make they pick me first because like, oh, you want some of this? You got it, brother. You're the only white guy playing. Only white guy getting playing, man. Beat up getting by everybody. Pounded by everybody, man. But I learned something about adversity that <clears throat> week. First of all, there's two kinds of adversity in life. There's the kind that you put yourself into by the choices you make, and then there's the kind that 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 you that life puts on you. And mm-hmm. whatever kind of adversity you're in, you have to find the opportunity in adversity. The basketball court was about finding the opportunity in adversity. But I learned two things about adversity that week. I learned that a situation is never as bad as I think it's going to be. My mind tells me a lot of times what a situation is going to be like. And I'm telling you something, Eric, even going to prison – it was not as bad as my mind had me believe. That's fear, man. Fear does that to us. We think that it's going to be bigger than what it is. And the other thing that I learned is that I'm always capable of way more than I think I am. Mm-hmm. I sell myself myself short all the time, man. And that's what I learned that week on that basketball court is that I'm capable of way more than I think I am. And it's not as bad as I think it's going to be. I think about that basketball court with all kinds of stuff that goes on in my life. Yeah, it happens all the time. Because at the end of the story, I mean, I don't want to ruin it for people, but like, you earned respect and then literally your life was on the line. And I think people need to read the book to, to get that part. But you, you get out early on parole, which is an amazing story in and of itself. Um, you and your mom work tirelessly and you, I mean, you were just very, what I, I appreciated about it is there was like, there was a lot of humility in your, uh, what the argument that you presented to come out on parole and then you chose to go into a drug program. Um, and so you're like, hey, listen, I know I'm an addict. I know I need help. And I, need, I want to start in a tough place, which transitioned you out into the real world. But once you get out, I mean, that's just the beginning of the next story. I mean, now you have a best-selling book, The Coffee Bean with John Gordon, uh, The Change Agent. By the way, I want to know how you got hooked up with John Gordon. How did, how did that happen? This is a wild story. So, so I got out November 16, 2015 and I'm on parole for the rest of my life. I get off parole in 2073, Eric. So that means, yeah. <laughs> You're I on mean, parole the rest of your life. Yeah. So, I mean, every month I go check in my PO. I mean, I was in my PO's office yesterday. I mean, I go give him a urinalysis. I pay a fine. I answer all the questions. Parole has all the power, man. Parole tells me to jump. I ask him how high, how many times. So I walk out November 16, 2015 but I'm not in prison anymore, not in a physical prison anymore. And, you know, I've been working on myself all this time. And I got a letter from a teacher while I was locked up. One of my favorite teacher growing up, Mr. Jellin, man, Mr. Jellin, Coach Jellin was one of my coaches, my seventh grade history teacher. And in that letter, he wrote me in 2011 while I was in prison, said, you ought to consider sharing your story with audiences, you know, young audiences one day, because you've, you've always been a leader. You've always been the quarterback, you know, and I think you can bring people hope. So, even when I was in prison, I was preparing myself for the day I would get out to be able to bring hope to other people, share the story with them. And so I started around where I where I live down there in the southeast Texas, around Beaumont, Needle, and Port Arthur, that area, going to high schools, church groups, stuff like that. But I, I, I really wanted to share the story, too, with college football programs because I played college football, right? But I don't have access to college football coach. I hadn't played ball since the 90s, man. No one knows who I am. So it's January of 2017. 
I'm at this law firm where I work, which the the story in the book about how I got my job at the law firm is crazy. It's just a God thing, right? <laughs> yeah. So I'm at this law firm. It's January of 17. And I get a phone call from a buddy of mine that works at KHOU, the big CVS station in Houston. And he says, hey, Damon, tonight is the Bear Bryant Coach of the Year Award here oh, in wow. Houston. He said, yeah, he said the eight best coaches mm-hmm. in the country are going to be here and they're going to name the best coach in America. He said, I got an extra press pass. Do you want to go? I'll sneak you in. Heck yeah. Heck yeah, I want to go, man. I'm hungry. So I, I drive to from Beaumont to Houston in 90 miles, you know, an hour and a half. I've got this hand-me-down suit on because that's all I have is hand-me-down clothes, you know, but I'm happy to have them, you know? And so I go, I go to the Toyota Center. He sneaks me in, hands me a press pass. I hit the ground running. And all the best coaches there, USC, Wisconsin, Penn State, P.J. Fleck, they're all in this room, right? And I get to meet every one of these coaches and give them my pitch. You know, hey, Damon West just got out of prison. And every coach I meet that night. They're going to remember you for sure. Oh, man. And every coach I meet that night slams the door in my face, man. Really? Oh, they're, uh, no, no, don't call us. We'll call you. You know, one coach is, and I'm not going to say who it is, he's he's running away from me as I'm telling him I just got out of prison. You know, it's, <laughs> it's like, let me get away from you, you know? so So, man, look. Within one hour of being there, I've got seven no's. I'm seven of the eight coaches down. I'm in the, that's like a no every eight minutes, man. I'm in the corner of the Toyota Center. I'm licking my wounds. I'm feeling sorry for myself. And that voice kicks in in my head that says, go home. Go home, Damon. That last coach is going to tell you no, like all the other coaches did tonight. He's the hardest coach to get to in the room. He just won the national championship two nights before against right. Alabama. Everybody wants a piece of this guy's time. But then that other voice kicked in, man. That voice that said, Dude, you survived prison, man. You survived way worse than this. You got perspective of what a bad day looks like. This isn't a bad day. And you want to be a motivational speaker. What kind of motivational speaker just quits, right? Who wants to listen to that guy? No, you're going to wait till this guy tells you no to your face, and then you're going home. So I watched, and I waited for my opportunity. I stalked Dabo Sweeney around that room that night. And I, I mean, I, I must have looked like a crazy person, man. I'm hiding behind. Is he, you know, he's about your height, right? Yeah. He, he, dude, I, I've been in airports before, and people say, hey, you're Dabo. I'm wearing Clemson gear. Are you yeah, yeah. Dabo? And I'm like, no, man. I asked Dabo now. I'm like, Dabo, does anybody ever say you He was like an undersized Dabo? receiver. You were an undersized quarterback. Yeah. That's like, pretty funny, actually. I asked Dabo now. I'm like, does anybody ever say you look like Damon West? So, <laughs> like, but, like, like, Damon who? Yeah, so I'm joking with him. So, man, I stalked Dabo Sweeney around yeah. that room that night, and I pounce on Dabo. He's, you know, I got him up against the wall, and I give Dabo the best stuff I got for a whole minute. He's like, "Hey, you got a card on you, dude?" So I give him a card, and then literally he's he's snatching my card out of my hand, and over his shoulder he's like, "Hey, we'll be in touch." And I mean, the body language is bad. It looks bad. I've been stalking this guy all night. It feels like a no. It looks like a no. But I felt okay about that no, Eric. Because I left it all on the field. And that's what we talk about in life and business and sales, knock on every door, make every call. And I did everything I could that night. So I went home and slept like a baby. And I forgot all about the night, to be honest with you, until four months later. I'm at my desk at work at the law firm. And I got an email from the DFO, the director of football operations yep. at Clemson University named Mike Dooley. Mike Dooley says in the email, Coach Swinney met you at a ward show in Houston. He'd love to have you come talk to the team. Do you have August 1st open? Dude, I got every first open, man. I can do that tomorrow, man. Yeah. So, man, August 1st, 2017, I go speak to the Clemson Tigers, defending national champions of college football. And when I got done with my presentation, Dabo's got me up against the wall in the team room. And he's like, Damon, that's the most amazing story I've ever heard. He said, man, I've, I've never seen my guys respond like that to a speaker's story. He said, have you been to Alabama yet? And I'm like, no, dude. I just came Dabo, to Clemson. I just, I've been to Clemson, man. Yeah. I haven't been anywhere. Yeah. He said, we'll see about it. He said, I just text Nick Saban from the back of the room. And when I landed in Houston the next morning, I had a voicemail and a text message from the director of football yep. operations at Alabama, Ellis Ponder. He said, we'll see you in Tuscaloosa in three weeks. You're on. 
just like that, Dabble Sweeney has just kicked in the door to college football. His biggest rival, he passes me off to him. And then after that, it's Georgia. It's all these other schools are getting in touch with me. And 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 all these other coaches are calling me on my cell phone. Lincoln Riley's calling me on my cell phone saying, hey, man, Dabble said I got to bring you in. When can you talk to my team? So now I'm speaking to all these college football. I've been to most college football programs in America now. But August of 2018 was when the big – Phone call came in. I'm at my desk at work at that law firm again, which, by the way, I don't work at the law firm anymore. Yeah. Life got, <laughs> You're speaking too much. Yeah. I'm, life, life, God has just put all this stuff on my plate now, which is great. It's what I asked for. But August of 18, I get a phone call. And the other end of that phone is a guy named John Gordon. And John Gordon, the energy bus guy, is yeah. on my phone. He sounds like the energy. I watch his <laughs> videos, man. I get, I get pumped up watching John on Twitter all the time, man. I, I follow this guy. He inspires me mm-hmm. and he's on my phone. So I like, John, how do you know who I am? He said, Dabo Swinney. There you go. He said, man, I was just in Dabo's office and and he was telling me about the story about the coffee bean. He said, man, they got the they got shirts at Clemson says be a coffee bean. The, the team motto is be a coffee bean right now. He said, Damon, and he said this in 2018, Eric, he said, the world needs the coffee bean message. He said, mm-hmm. let's deliver this message to the world. Let's write a book. And the first thing I told him was, you're John Gordon, man. You're the energy bus guy. Go write the book yourself. You don't need me. He said, God told me to call you, Damon. He said, so we either do this together, we just don't do it at all. So we wrote the coffee bean. It came out in July of 2019, a few months after the change agent came out. And Eric, that book has been a bestseller ever since. It's sold 300,000 copies at this point. It's amazing. It's in every major language in the world. I mean, my wife and I were in Mexico in March. We did a book signing there because there's a Spanish version of it. I mean, the world literally has the coffee bean message right now because I stuck around a room in Houston in January of 2017 to get that last no from that last guy. Mm. But it ended up being the biggest yes of my life. Now, imagine... If I didn't, if I imagine if I'd have left that night, you wouldn't know. Still be at the law firm. Yeah. Still be at the law firm. I mean, and I would have thought, Hey, that's the best thing in the world in life, but, but you wouldn't have the coffee bean message. I mean, there's no question about it. How many lives would not have been impacted because you didn't get over your fear or your whatever was going on in your head. And it's like, I tell people all the time, sales, sports, whatever it is. Always make the ask. Always put in the work because you never know in your life where your Dabo Sweeney moment is going to be, where you where you may have that big breakthrough in life or you meet that one client that turns their whole Rolodex over to you because you blew them away, mm. you know? So you never know where that Dabo Sweeney moment is going to be. I love that. So <clears throat> on this podcast, we always have three questions that we end with, okay? Oh, boy. The first one is, what does high performance mean to you? What does it mean to be a high performer? So high performance to me, and, and it's funny, I was talking to Dabo the other day and Dabo was like, man, you're, you're after it, man. You're in, in, cause I am, I'm all over the place. We were planning the uh, presentation I'm going to do in August with the team this year. And I said, Dabo, I'm so grateful that that not everybody functions at this level, that, that not everybody wants it as bad as I do. And he started laughing. He goes, yeah, man. He said the competition would be pretty stiff if everybody wanted it as, ba- as bad as you do. Because I have this thing called a rookie mindset. Mm. And a rookie mindset tells me that every day in life that I've got to go after life like it was that first day when I got out of prison, man. I wake up and I look at life like, hey, I'm going after it as hungry as I was that day. That's where the high performing comes from. And another place that it comes from, when you say high performing, I think about the perspective that I have in life. And we all have perspective in life. But I know what a bad day looks like. And as long as my when I wake up, my feet don't hit the cold concrete floor of a prison cell, 
man, I'm winning, man. I'm winning and I'm off to the races. And in the high performing thing, it's got to start out with you you being in the right place. Because if you start going 100 miles an hour in the wrong direction, man, you've got to hit the brakes at some point. You're going the wrong way. So every morning I wake up and I say the same prayer that I've been praying since I got into prison. I got, well, since I was in prison, I got into program recovery. Mm-hmm. I learned how to pray. And I say the same prayer every morning to start my day and get myself going in the right direction. It's the only thing I ask God for. I ask God for two things in the morning. I say, hey, God, put in front of me what you need me to do today for you and let me recognize it when I see mm-hmm. it. Amen. That's it. I don't ask for I don't ask for anything else. I mean, literally nothing else I can ask God for because in my faith, I, th- I trust that if I take care of what God needs me to do for him, mm-hmm. then he'll take care of my needs too. Not my wants, but my needs. And being a high performer means that, hey, after that, I'm off to the races. But I'm looking as I'm burning through life and I'm looking for opportunities. I'm knocking on every door. I mean, I, and I reach out to I reach out to people on Twitter. Hey, man, can I can I can speak to your group, your yeah. team, your organization? But I'm looking as I'm going for opportunities to serve. I ended up in the wind prison unit today because I look for opportunities to serve. When I woke up this morning, the wind prison unit was God saying, hey, I need you there today. And it doesn't matter that it's two hours away. I got you out of this place. You got to go to work for me, man. So I love it, dude. You got me so freaking fired up right now. It's (laughs) 730. I don't know if I'm going to sleep tonight. Um, So what habits or practices have you adopted so that you can consistently be performing at your best? So there's there's some things I do every day. And it's like the rules of being a coffee bean, right? So the first rule about being a coffee bean, and it's going to help you out along your day, is about having positive body language. Because it's like Jackson told me, he said, your, your, your energy will either infect the rooms you go into with your negative energy, or you're going to affect them with your positive energy. Infect versus effect. We want to have a positive effect of where we go. And that all starts with your smile. Your smile is powerful. I mean, you, you've, you've, you've studied this. Your smile releases endorphins in your brain, man. That's the stuff that makes you feel good. Now you got something to give because you can't give what you don't have, right? right? So now you're out there, you've got this smile going. But the thing that happens is when you smile, the energy you create around you, because people see you smile, they smile back, you know, and that create that changes the energy. Around. When I came up for parole, the lady from parole was like, you know, you changed the entire prison around you. And the, and the idea was that I did it with a smile. You know, I started, it starts with a smile. And then, you know, I'm going to get up every day and I'm working on myself in three areas, spiritually, mentally, and physically. This is a routine I have to do daily. And the spiritual workout, I just told you that prayer to God, but my mental workout, it's every book I read, every video I watch, every website I go to, my social media feeds, who do I follow, what do I post? Man, you are what you eat, Eric. That's not just about food. That's about everything you put in this big brain of yours up here. And you'll look like on the outside, what you're putting in on the inside. Mm. And then uh, physically, man, I got to try to take care of myself. I got to try to stay in shape. Like You get one body in this life. Another thing I do is I, I try to practice controlling the controllables. And I, there's really just four things you control and they're all inside your head, what you think, what you say, what you feel and, and what you do. Mm-hmm. And those are really the four things you control in life. And I try to just stay on my line. There's a chapter on my book called yep. not on my line. So I try to stay on my line. And uh, as long as I'm on my line, life's pretty good, brother. I love it. And then how are you investing in your personal growth right now? Is there something you're reading? Is there something you're digging into right now to make you better? 
Man, all roads lead back to Dabo Swinney. So last July, last July, my wife and I go out to Clemson is during the COVID stuff. He's got a, a foundation, all in foundation. He's like, Damon, we've got to do a virtual fundraiser. And I don't know anybody else could do a virtual fundraiser, help us raise money, but you with your coffee bean story. So my wife and I go to Clemson. We do the virtual fundraiser. They raise a million dollars at night virtually. Amen. I mean, this is, that's a power Dabo. That's not me, man. Dabo did that. And so, but. Um, we're having dinner with Kathleen and Dabo that night. And Dabo tells me about an organization that we raised money for that night called Call Me Mister. Call Me Mister is a group at Clemson. They have a, a group that they go out and find young black men that are graduating high school, 18 years old, graduate high school, inner cities in South Carolina. Mm. Say, hey, come to Clemson. We've got an elementary education bachelor's degree for you. And you'll be mentored in this Call Me Mister program. And at the end of the education, when you graduate, you get the salutation of Mister by your name. And you're going to teach in an elementary school in an inner city somewhere. At that most at-risk Title I school, minority, majority population. The population looks like them. Mm -hmm. Because they believe that if you can catch... You know, if you get to a child at the elementary age, you know, there's studies, Johns Hopkins studies that show that if a black boy has a black male teacher between the years of second and fifth grade, he's 40 percent more likely to graduate high school. Wow. Like 20 percent more likely to become a teacher himself because he's seen it can be done. So call me Mr. is about trying to find young black men, turn them into elementary school teachers and put them back in their society. And when Dabo told me about that. My wife and I had started the Be a Coffee Bean Foundation during the pandemic and in the hopes that we could help other people because every day it's about trying to be useful. So when he told me about that, I told my wife, I was like, Kendall, we can do this inside of a prison. She's like, what do you mean? I said, when I was in prison, they had universities that would come in there and you could get it. You know, they would send you to different prisons for different kind of degree programs. Mm -hmm. So I asked Abba to introduce me to the Call Me Mr. people. And so he did. And I pitched my idea to them. Guys, listen, could we partner up the Be a Coffee Bean Foundation and call me, mister? I'll find a state prison system that will allow me to go in there and we can go find black incarcerated men that have the aptitude to test in the college. They don't have a lot of time left from their sentence. And they have the kind of sentences that you can, the kind of crimes you can be a teacher because every state allows felons to be teachers. But there's Didn't know all, that. Yeah, there, every state has every state has these these lists of felonies you can't be a teacher if mm -hmm. you have, right? Crimes against children, crimes against women, uh, aggravated crimes, physical crimes, violent crimes. You're not going to be a teacher. They don't want you to school. Right. But there's non-aggravated. I can become a teacher. I don't have any aggravated crimes. And so I told Kendall and, and I told Dabo and I told the Call Me Mystery people, we're going to do this inside of a state prison system. And I think everybody thought I was a little bit nuts. <laughs> Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, the director of prisons in Louisiana sent an email out to every prison in Louisiana, to every warden in Louisiana, and said, hey, the Louisiana Department of Corrections, in a program with the Be a Coffee Bean Foundation, is wanting to identify five incarcerated black men in our prison system right now that have the aptitude test in college, they have a low-level crime, they don't have a lot of time left in their sentence. And when we identify, carefully screen and identify these five men, we're going to transfer them to the Hunt facility right outside of Baton Rouge. And the Be a Coffee Bean Foundation is going to pay for their education. And we're going to bring professors in there. And over the course of the next four years, these guys are going to get an elementary education, bachelor's degree, and their teacher, the teacher certification is going to be done inside of a prison. And then they will parole out and we're going to stick those guys in the toughest elementary schools in Louisiana. The East Baton Rouge Parish, the Ninth Ward of New Orleans, mm. the most at-risk schools where the crime is going to come from, where the future prison population is going to come from. And the program's called Mr. Coffee Bean. I love because it. it's like, call so, me Mr. and Mr. Coffee Bean. So how do people help this organization? How can they fund? How can they, like, if somebody's listening to this, like, I want to donate to that. Like, I want to help. 
I, I can't go in and teach these guys, but I can provide some financial resources or something else. How can they find the Be a, Be a Coffee Bean? Yeah, um, the Be a Coffee Bean Foundation.org. Um, that's the name of the foundation. It's a 501c3. All the documents are on there. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, it's it's turning into something big because it's never been done before in the history of corrections. Um, but it You're, can't, you are changing it from the inside out. What it's one of the things I learned though, Eric, is like, look, I mean, the, th- the what I've learned is that you know white people, people who look like me have to start listening to what black and brown people are saying about racism, I mm-hmm. think. And, and and one of the things I hear from from a lot of my, my friends that are of color is that, hey, man, yeah, transfer some of that power back over to us, but we don't need you hang, hanging out over our shoulder once you've done that, you know? Mm-hmm. So listening to that, I thought, this is a way to do that because if I want to get involved in criminal justice reform and I want to help out, then I want to be involved in something that's going to have a pre-intervention and a second chance. And now I've found a way to have a program. I built my own program to do that, but now I'm going to transfer that power back into a person's hands that's been formerly incarcerated. That's a, it's an inmate, but we're really taking the school to prison pipeline and reversing it. We're mm-hmm. going to make it the prison to school pipeline. You know, the numbers show that there's less than 2% of the teachers in America are black men. I don't know if you knew that, but less than 2% of mm. the teachers in public education are black men, but 50% of your prison population, more or less, is black men. So whenever Dabo was telling me about this program, that's the first thing I thought of. I was like, well, I know where a lot of black men are because I was around a lot of black men mm. in Southern prisons. And it really shocked me when I got to prison, Eric, and I saw how many black men were locked up. They only make up 6.5% of the population in America. Yet they make up almost 50% of your prison population. So in my life, I thought if I could ever find a way to transfer some of that power to help out in that community, what would I do? And this came up. And and it's really fitting, Eric, because so many black men have helped me on the way. And in fact, the coffee bean message came from a black man, Mm -hmm. a black man that pulled me aside, saw something in me that gave me this coffee bean message that changed my life, gave me the blueprint and the the means to change my life. So what better way to pay that forward? I love it. So the change agent, get it on Amazon. You can get uh, the coffee bean on Amazon. Anything else that you got coming out? Because I want people to be able to support you. This is like one of those things where like, you're going to read this and go, how can I get involved? So John Gordon and I have another book coming out. And so the coffee bean tells the story of the coffee bean. The the book, The Change Agent, the coffee bean is a chapter in that book. Mm-hmm. But, you know, everywhere I go, people are like, hey, man, are there more ways of being a coffee bean? I go through this presentation. I talk about the different ways. So John and I are like, man, let's write a book with, you know, dozens of ways of being a coffee bean and give examples of it. So John and I are working on that book right now. That's going to be coming out. Yeah, man. And then we got, um, then I've got the, the, hopefully the movie project will get off the ground. I mean, look, I mean, this is something, if we can get the right people attached to it, I mean, there's, God, I wish I could tell you who's involved with it, but I can't do it right now because I'm, I, there's nothing is signed, but it's a huge name that's involved. I mean, we're trying to get him to play the lead role in it too. It's it's big. I can't I can't wait to see this movie because the book you got to read the book. I mean, it is like it is it's life changing. Um, thank you so much for coming out here, man. I, I appreciate that. I dude. really am so thankful that you came on and were able to share your story today. You, you're an exceptional human being and somebody that's changed. And you you've challenged me through your book and to just being here today. Man, I I appreciate it, man. That means a lot to me. The fact that you you got that much out of my book, that book was turned down by 15 publishers, man. No one wanted a piece of it. I was just out of prison. But Postal Press is like, yeah, we'll we'll print the book and and um and it's taking on a life of its own, man. 
it's it's really wild thank you for having me man thanks yeah. for picking me absolutely yeah thanks a lot brother appreciate you man yeah if today's podcast enriched your life in any way please support the blueprint by sharing this podcast with someone you think could benefit from today's conversation also please consider checking out the festive kitchen's amazing product it's freaking awesome it makes for a fantastic gift for a colleague, a friend, or a loved one, or as a freaking fun snack when you eat something sweet and savory to tantalize your taste buds. Thanks for listening. You can find more episodes and all other Hot Pie Media originals baked fresh daily at our home on the web at hotpiemedia.com, the Hot Pie Media YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts.